seeks true expressions of our heart before God in which they become worship. And I hope that as you have just sung, I surrender all, and that you've sung it to God and you've meant it with every, um, every bit of your being, um, that there's nothing that God would want of you that you wouldn't surrender to him. Said it before, God, I'll go where you want me to go. God, I'll do what you want me to do. Um, wow. What a thought, huh? What a life-transforming thought for us to embrace and to live. Let me pray. I'm going to just, before I speak, take a moment to pray for our country. We've been through a tough week, huh? With a tragedy in Quebec. And it just has struck me profoundly that there's evil at work in our world. It doesn't matter what stripe, what brand, but a desire in the hearts of people to kill. Um, and I just want us, to, I want us to pray. I want to pray for people who are grieving. I want to pray for our country uh, and indeed our world. So let's do that now. Gracious God, uh, we just thank you that in all circumstances we can trust you and we can find our solid foundation in you. But Lord, when something like this mass shooting happens in Quebec, in our own country, uh, as it has this week, um, it's, it troubles us. And as I've just said, there is an evil at work in our world, and sometimes it's uh, from a different cause or a particular ideology, but Lord, the hatred that seeks to kill uh, too often is alive and well in, in the hearts of people. God, we would begin by praying that you would bring comfort and peace and strength to people who are grieving today, that you would sustain people, Lord, and that you would remind them of Christ and his hope and the promise that he brings, and that you would see these people through this. God, we would pray for our country, um, and that, uh, Lord, you would be at work, that even in this tragedy, you would bring good from it. And that maybe even you would turn people's minds and hearts to you again in a new way. But God, we would think about this reality of evil. <clears throat> and of course, we look forward to a day <clears throat> when evil is no more, when the rule and reign of Christ covers this earth, and that there is no one who seeks to forward their own agenda through such um, violence and brutality. God, we pray against that evil. And we pray that you would overcome it. We pray, our God, that even through your church, the truth would come of love and of grace and of kindness, and that you would transform this world, Lord, and that evil would be driven out in the name and by the power of Christ through his people. Lord, in our own hearts, let hatred never settle there. And we pray, our God, that you will bring change and that your will would be done. And that we as a country, and as, even as a world, we would find a different way. As inspired by Christ. And the power of his spirit at work in us. So Lord, bring healing to grieving families, to grieving communities, to a grieving country. And um, accomplish great things even because this has happened. In, in our world. God, as we turn to your word again, let us hear from you, not from a human being, Lord, but work by your spirit so that we all gathered here might be able to say, today I heard from God, 
And that still small voice, that powerful, still small voice that has the capacity to change us. Speak today, God, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask you a, a question uh, today to begin, as I sometimes do, and it's this. How much is obedience part of your relationship with Jesus? How much is, you know, of your experience of the Lord, is there a willingness simply to do what he tells you to do? Um, I want to illustrate the point by giving some reference to what we've been through in the last three weeks. We've been in this series from John 15 where Jesus says, live an intimate relationship with me. Pursue that intimate connection with me. And out of that intimate connection, I will flow powerfully in and through your life to make a difference for my kingdom. So the question, how much in response to what I hope God has said to you, have you responded in obedience? And actually allowed that word of God to change you so that you have acted differently. And can I suggest in terms of going home to Christ, as the message version of the Bible says it on a daily basis, getting into his presence, seeking him, knowing him, loving him, allowing his word to dwell in you. Has it changed your life? Have you obeyed the word that has come? Or has it been more like, well, that's an interesting idea, and I'll have to give that some thought, and you leave here on a Sunday morning and it's gone. No obedience, no responsiveness, no yielding to Christ's voice in your life, just, oh, hmm, uh-huh. You get the question? How much is obedience part of your relationship with Jesus Christ? I ask this because we've been talking about conditions which have to be in place in our lives from John chapter 15 which will allow us to be fruitful, which will allow us to be powerful instruments in the hand of God to bring His kingdom on earth, that we might literally do the things that He wants done uh, in this world. We've talked about, you know, make your home in, in me as I have made my home in you, in you. Pursuing those times, Sunday morning worship, critical part of your week where you come into the presence of God, we do corporately. Day after day after day, moving into that quiet space with him, opening up your life, your heart, your mind to him, reading his word, and enjoying that fellowship with Jesus. That's number one, intimate connection with Jesus. Number two, we talked about it last week, the whole idea that, you know what, we have to embrace weakness. We have to celebrate the fact that we can't in order that Christ, who is powerful and, 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 and the one who can, might accomplish things through us that we could never imagine, certainly never accomplish on our own. That's the second condition of fruitfulness and effectiveness for God. The third condition is obedience. And I want to read to you John 15, verses 9 and 10, as Jesus carries on this passage. It says, As my Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. That's what this whole teaching has been about. Stay connected to me. Stay close to me. Stay in intimate relationship with me. And then this, if, and there's another if word. If is in the previous paragraph quite a lot, and we've addressed that. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. Another translation says, if you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love, stay connected and close, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands. He lived this way in relationship to His Father, the Heavenly Father. What do you think about that idea of keeping His commandments and living in obedience to Jesus? Um, the reality is that a lot of people find that somewhat distasteful 
to be honest with it, with, with you, and you may be feeling that. We live in a culture which has embraced postmodernism. It's the intellectual context in which we find ourselves. In postmodernism, people don't accept authority as a, a legitimate dynamic. And they certainly don't accept the idea of obeying what an authority speaks to them. Um, it's just not something that's embraced. Self-determination, on the other hand, is something that really is embraced. I get to choose my own way. I get to decide how I will move forward in life. But that's something that's completely almost the opposite of obeying an authority. And then probably there are lots of people here, and this might have even more relevance to folks who are in, in the church and followers of Jesus. But there are people who fight the idea of obedience because their minds go back to that day when they were five or six years old and they were sitting at a kitchen table. Think about whether this ever happened to you. And mom or dad said, you are not going to leave this table until you finish those peas. How many people can relate to that? Hands in the air, way up high. Lots of you, right? <laughs> Put it in a napkin, yeah, mom. There are different ways to respond to such things. But, you know, the idea that, we, we, that was somehow entrenched in our hearts, when I am forced to do something, when I am forced to obey, it, you know, I'm going to fight against that, and, I, and, and it is so good to grow up and to become independent so I don't have to obey anybody anymore. Certainly not mom or dad, right? You hear what I just said? I grow up and I don't have to obey anybody anymore. Maybe even God. Let me tell you this, if, if, if when you hear Christ speak about how you need to obey his commands, um, and your heart goes to that, no one is going to force me to do anything I don't want to do. You know, and there's a resistance to what he is saying about this dynamic. I want to tell you, you have absolutely no idea what Jesus in this text is inviting you into. That's a five-year-old response to mom or dad that still is alive in you. Can I say it this way, with love and grace, it's a juvenile way, spiritually, to think about what Christ is inviting us into here. And, and we need to get beyond any sense of what that dynamic is. And I want this morning to, to, to help you, if I can, discover really what's being asked of us. So let me explain this idea of obedience. Number one, first of all, let me be absolutely clear about this. It's like a foundational dynamic and a biblical understanding of obedience. We do not and we cannot earn our salvation through obedience to Christ, to His Word. You know, we cannot come to the place where, 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 where we get into right relationship with God because we act in a particular way, where we are justified in the eyes of God because we obey His commandments. It's not possible. It is completely impossible to earn the merit in God's eyes because of what we do. Why? Because literally all of us, as Romans says, fall short of the glory of God. All of us do what is wrong. All of us sin. And even though we might do a lot of good things, the reality is that all of us sin. And this stuff keeps us alienated from God. Nobody can live a good enough life to gain that justification in God's eyes. And that, my friends, is exactly why Christ had to come. We needed a Savior to come and to die for us on the cross and be raised to new life so that we can be forgiven of the things we have done wrong. That's what's necessary. So that then we are justified through faith in Him, not our behavior. Through faith in what Jesus did on the cross. Through confession of our sin, we come to that place in faith where we are seen by God as justified and pure and holy. 
And it has nothing to do with how we have lived. Zero. What happens in this process? And that's the starting point. That's just the beginning point, the foundational dynamic. Forgiveness does not earn our salvation. And what happens as we come to this point of faith is as God's Spirit works in us, we discover that it's a powerful act of God. We discover that our hearts have been changed. Very literally, God's work in us has moved us from rebellion against God to a deep willingness to follow the Lord in His commandments. Instead of fighting against the rule and the reign of Christ in our lives, we come to a place where we eagerly embrace that rule and reign. So that in the deepest part of our being, we long to do what is right. We long to obey God. So very literally, my friends, obeying Jesus becomes an expression, number one, of faith. Knowing that everything Jesus has commanded us to do is right and it is good and it will lead to blessing in life, but also it becomes an expression of, and here's the critical thing in this passage, it becomes an expression of our love for Him. If you obey my commandments, Jesus says, you will remain in my love. We want to obey because obeying is a means of honoring Him. We want to obey and do what He calls us to do because we love Him and we want to love Him back. There's no sense of anybody in, in, in the family of God being forced to do something that they don't want to, to do. It's not that God or Christ is this parent standing over us forcing, to eat our, forcing us to eat our peas. What it is in the end of the day is simply us wanting to have a close, intimate relationship with Jesus. And doing so, obeying His commandments is an expression of our love for Him. Which, by the way, doesn't lead to the yucky taste of peas in our mouth. And us going, oh, I hate that. <laughs> it leads to the reality of joy. Let me read John 15, verse 11. It says this. Again, Jesus speaking. I have told you this so that, say it with me, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. <laughs> See, the result of loving obedience is joy. Pure joy in our lives. Now, generally, there are two problems that emerge in the church at large when we think about obedience. And you might find yourself in one of these two polar opposites. So look for that a little bit. The first is, is this. It's legalism. It's a dynamic where the idea of living morally is the sum and the substance of the faith. That's what it's about. Um, it, it's the idea that if we live in a, more, a moral life, someday God will let us into heaven. It is certainly not about a relationship with Jesus as we've been studying. It's not a matter of the heart. It's not even a matter of faith, what we believe. It's all about behavior. Never met anyone like that? Maybe might that be you? Oh, you know, living morally, it's way, it's way up here, it's primary, it's so significant. I've got to live right. Per personal merit with God comes through how we live, and obedience becomes everything. Now, I'll tell you, that's not Christianity. I would suggest to you that is the reality of all other religions in the world. It is this which makes Christianity unique and distinct and different. 
So legalism is, is, is completely off in terms of its understanding of what the faith is about. On the other hand, on the other extreme, if you would, is this, this is the big word for the day, antinomianism. You say that with me in one, two, three, antinomianism. Oh, you're all so educated and brilliant. I love it. Anti means against. Nomos, and this is Greek, means law. And it's the idea that there is no law. Uh, Paul writes about this in Romans. The idea is that, that people follow Jesus with sincerity, but obedience literally has nothing to do with their faith experience. It's not part of what, what it means to have a relationship with Christ. Problem. <laughs> That's a problem because you know what? The law is there. But in, in the minds of these folks, there is no law, so... You know, rather than obeying what the Scripture teaches, they kind of make up their own way of doing things and their own sense of what's right and wrong. And in the process, they become God, not <laughs> Jesus. As I say, the reality is, uh, the problem with this perspective is the Bible's filled with commandments. You know, in, in, in the early part of the formation of Israel, way back in the Old Testament, God formed what, the ten? I want to say it loud now. Ten commandments. As I've said to you before, God didn't give the ten suggestions. But a lot of people respond to them that way. But God gave the ten commandments to form the life of his people around which they would live. And he gave commandments about their relationship, our relationship with him. You shall have no other gods before you and don't, don't make idols and observe the Sabbath, all these sorts of things. Second part of the ten commandments is all about a relationship with one another. Don't kill each other. You know? Uh, don't lie. Uh, <laughs> Don't envy what other people have, and so on. They're there. It's part of what God has spoken to us. He has commanded us to do a lot. And then Jesus comes along and he says, if, if, you, if, if you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love. And it's not singular, it's plural. If you'll obey what I command you and have commanded you over and over and over again, then you will remain in my love, he says. Um, and I want to focus just for a minute on that word if. And I want to bring you back, as I have in other talks that I have given about this, to tell you this is, this is the means whereby we might be intimately connected to Jesus. Obey, obedience of commandments is an expression of faith and love, which produces joy. But he says if you don't, the implication is profound. If you don't keep my commandments, you will not remain in my love in this intimate connection that he has described in this passage already. See, if we break fellowship with Jesus, you know, in the intimacy, it just, it just won't be there because of disobedience. And we won't be fruitful. We will become useless. This is, sounds a little crass, but sometimes, you know, that helps get the point over. We will become useless for God. And I'm not saying you'd be useless to God. I'm saying in terms of what God wants to accomplish in this world, you will be useless to him. Because there won't be an intimacy with Jesus, and his spirit won't fill you, and he won't move powerfully in your life to accomplish the things on the earth that he wants accomplished. It's just not going to happen. And we have to face that reality. Obedience is to be part and parcel of our knowing and loving Jesus. It is to be part and parcel of our living in close, intimate relationship with Him. 
I'm going to tell you a story to illustrate this point, and, and I wondered whether I should today because it's one of those stories, and I've learned over the years, sometimes you don't go some places in Scripture unless you really have time to unpack it and explain it fully. But I can't avoid this one because it's too good, and I'm going to be briefer with it than I would want to be. But it's a story from Acts chapter 5 about a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. Here's the context. God was working powerfully uh, um, in, in the church and in the area of Jerusalem right after the Holy Spirit had come. Um, the, 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 the situation is that in this particular uh, part of the story, part of what God is doing, there are a lot of people who are so committed to Christ and so passionate about His work and the coming of God's kingdom that they are literally selling properties that they own and taking the money and giving it to the apostles so that the work of God could be done. Um, I want to suggest to you that there was no obligation for them to do this. Nobody was, you know, you know banging them on the head and say, go sell your property. This is an, an expression of incredible generosity, dramatic generosity. I would suggest to you it was, it's fruitfulness. <laughs> it's God at work in people so much so that this is one of the fruit, uh, fruits of what the farmer, the Lord himself, has produced. Well, this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, decide to sell their property. And um, what they did was give not 100% of the proceeds to the apostles, but most of it, but not all of it. And that would have been fine if they had come along to the apostles and said, you know, what we've decided to do is to give you 80%, we're going to keep 20%. The apostles would have said, that is fantastic, what a generous thing you have done, thank you, uh, God bless you. But instead of that, they, come, they came along to the apostles and said, we're giving you everything. And as you'll see in the text we're about to read, the apostles defined that and described that as essentially lying to the Holy Spirit and to God. It's a very significant problem, can I call it sin, that these people exercise. And I want to read you this story, and I want you to hear it, and then I'll try briefly to explain it to you, what's going on. Acts chapter 5. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife, wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, and we don't know how he discovered this. Was it the leading of the Holy Spirit? Did someone mention it to him? Not explained, but this is what Peter said. Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Wow, can you imagine? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? You could have done whatever you wanted with this. It's your money. What, a, what made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and he died like wow and great fear seized all who heard what had happened then some young men came forward wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him but three hours later his wife came in not knowing what had happened peter asked her tell me this is this piece of uh this price you and ananias is this the price you and ananias got for the land yes she said that is the price Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the man who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. That moment she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. 
Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. You know, we can read that text and you might go, Chris, what is that? It's like, my goodness, why is God so harsh in what he has done? Well, here's why. In this, in this moment of time, God is doing mighty things in the world, powerful things. The church is fruitful in ways that it had never been seen before. The Lord Jesus was powerfully at work in and through his people. The Lord was setting up the church and establishing the church and creating the church that would sweep the world with the message of Jesus so that the kingdom of God might come in power. And if sin was allowed to become part of that church, if sin was allowed to infect that church like a cancer in a body, the blessing of God would have stopped. It would have ended. So God acted, I will agree, in a dramatic and extreme fashion in order to protect the dynamic of what he had created among those people. And then immediately afterwards, I'm going to read you 12 to 16, the verses that follow right after this. I want you to hear that immediately afterwards we hear of, an, again, an, an incredible movement of the Spirit of God among God's people. Let's do it. Verse 12. The apostles performed, this is the first sentence after we hear that dramatic story. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. The Spirit of God was enabling them to do miracles. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one dared join them. Interesting, right? Everybody stayed away, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Conversions were just numerous as people found faith in Jesus. As a result, listen to this, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on them and they were healed on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, evil spirits, dark angels, and all of them were healed. Did you hear the word? All of them were healed. Here's the message. When sin is in the church, when sin is in the lives of God's people, fruitfulness disappears. When, but when we live joy-filled lives of obedience to the commandments of Jesus, the power of God flows in and through us. My question to you this morning very simply is this. One of them at least is, what kind of church do you want to be a part of? What kind of church do you want to be a part of? Let me read Ephesians 4, verses 30 to 32 for you. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You can do that, and so can I. With whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. What powerful words. <laughs> Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You see what Paul in Ephesians is crying out for? Get rid of the sin that is among you. Don't grieve the Spirit of God by sinning in the ways that are described. Get it out of you so that the power of God might be exercised through you. Sometimes we look at the church and we say, where's the power? 
Why isn't God working in dramatic and powerful and significant ways like he once did and has through church history at various times? I want to tell you we're talking about the reason sometimes there's no power among us because there is sin among us. Unconfessed, ongoing sin. I'm not saying that we don't sin and we confess sin and we get back into intimate connection with Jesus. It happens every day, I hope, as you confess your sin and you're drawn back into intimate connection with Jesus. I'm talking about sin that's just there and left alone. And we live in it. And I want to say to you, my friends, each of you who are here, I don't know where all you are at. I just know me and my heart before God and my life and my issues. But if there's sin in your life, I plead with you to confess it and to repent of it that we might be the conduit of the power of God in this world as a church and that you might be as well. So how do we engage these commandments of Jesus? If you obey my commandments, <laughs> you will remain in my love, he said. How do, we, how do we discover what Christ is saying to us? How do we know what to obey? Well, I want to tell you, if you remain in Jesus, as he says in verse 7, I believe, and his words remain in you, we've talked about this in previous weeks. If you live in that intimate connection with Christ and you... Open your life to the Word of God in worship on a Sunday morning, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday with conviction and, and with, 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 with a desire to hear from God on a Sunday morning. And if you open the Scripture on a daily basis and you go home into Jesus as He has made His home in you and you live in Him in, in that way, I'm telling you, with the Word of God open and as you sit with Him and the Spirit of God works, you will know what He wants you to do. See, the Word of God communicates the mind of God to us. It's an incredibly powerful spiritual book. And by it and through it, as we abide in Christ, as we remain in Him, the Spirit of God simply tells us what, how we need to live in obedience to Him. It is as we draw close to Scripture and read Scripture that God will convict us of sin if it's present so that we can confess it and repent of it and be strengthened by the Lord to overcome it in a way that we in ourselves can't because we are weak. Remember last Sunday? And as the Lord speaks to us in such a fashion, it is then our opportunity to simply obey Him and remain in His love. Sometimes He speaks and He tells us that we need to stop doing what we're doing. Can I ask right now, is the Spirit of God at work in you, quietly saying it's time for you to stop doing something? I mean, I could list off a, you know, 101 sins that you may be committing and I might be committing. But right now, as you sit in His presence, as you live in Christ, as you have made your home in Him this morning, in the way that He has made His home in you, as you've drawn into Him that you might abide in Him, is He, is he saying something to you right now and you just know that you know that you know that God is saying it's time to stop? This is it. Time to confess, time to repent, time to move beyond. Sometimes the Lord Jesus speaks and he tells us to do what we're not doing. We have to obey that. You know? Time to serve, time to live your life, not for yourself, but to live your life for others. In and through the church, in the community, whatever God calls you to. Sometimes it's like with these people in the Acts of the Apostles, it's time to start giving with great generosity. Time to tithe. Oh, I don't, I don't. wait a minute. 
If God speaks this to you, don't do that. You know, we've, ta- we've, we've, we've read from Ephesians, is it time for you to forgive someone? You've been holding on to bitterness against that person and malice? Is it just time to forgive them in your heart of hearts and f- just free yourself from that dynamic and move on? Is it time to confess if you've wronged someone? But in each of these instances, where, whether we're told to stop something or we're told to do something, if we are to make our home in Jesus, whenever he speaks to us by his word, we are simply to say, yes, Lord, I will obey you. Yes, Lord, because you are my God and I will obey is an expression of love and faith before you. See, the more I preach this series, the, the less it becomes, honestly, about fruitfulness in my mind. I don't know how you're experiencing it. And the more it becomes about the nature of our relationship with Christ. About how we will live our lives with Him. And I don't know which side of that equation that I described to you earlier, the legalism versus the antinomianism. You know, the legalist is all worried about behavior and is you know, either really proud about what they've accomplished because they've measured up or they're really feeling a lot of guilt because they failed, you know, neither good. And as I've said, the one who is living in that sort of antinomianism is that there is just no law. I mean, I don't, commandments? What commandments? Just forgive me for my sin and let me live like I want to live. I don't know where you fit. And I don't need to know where you fit. I think you would be helped by knowing that. But this I know. To be Christ's, to be His, to be in relationship with Jesus requires that we place Him as the authority of our lives, an authority whom we trust with all of our hearts and whom we love, and whom we obey as a regular and ongoing part of our experience with Him. So, I guess the, the, today the, the, the concluding Maybe ultimate question very simply is, how do you need to obey him today? Um, How do you need to say, yeah, Lord Jesus, you've spoken, and now I will do. How do you enter into a relationship of yielded submission to the one who is God? I surrender all, I surrender all, but I'm going to keep living in disobedience to you? No, no, no. Because you believe in him too much and you love him too much. In the end of the day, my friends, out of love for him and out of his love for us, We say yes to him, we obey him, we repent of sin and walk away from what we find ourselves caught up in this intimacy with Jesus that enables us to be powerful for him. That's what God wants for you. That's what he calls you to. That's what Jesus in this passage is inviting you into if indeed you want fruitfulness, effectiveness, power for the kingdom of God. Let's pray.
Lord, what a, an incredible invitation you give to your people. Where, where you go beyond just saying you need to obey me. You say, express your love to me through your obedience. Honor me through your obedience. Live in relationship with me as, as the Lord of all. So much so that when I speak and when I command and when I give you my commandments, you just say, all right, yes, Lord Jesus, that's what I want. So that I might stay close to you. So that I might enjoy and experience this intimate relationship with you. God, I pray for all these people here today and whatever state their relationship with you is, but I pray, number one, that you'll reveal to them that you're not the forceful parent telling them what to do but you're the God of love inviting them into a relationship of love with you I pray Lord that you'll make clear to them day by day how you wish them to act what you want them to stop doing and what you want them to start doing what obedience means as they spend time with you and as their your word dwells in these people gathered here today God I pray your blessing upon them that you will speak and they will know most of all, I pray a blessing upon them that they might know the grace to be people out of faith and out of love and deep love for Jesus who are willing to say, yes, Lord, if that's what you ask of me, that I will do. God, I pray that we will be a people of obedience. I pray that we will be a people who hear the commands of Christ and with eagerness and with passion embrace them. I pray out of that dynamic, Lord, we might be a people who are corporately living in intimate relationship with you so that we might be a people through whom the power of God flows in mighty ways in this world. God teaches these things. Take us deeper in this faith that we might discover this relationship with Christ that we might know. Lord Jesus, thank you for the teaching. Thank you for the invitation. Now our God, give us the wisdom and the grace that we might live in obedience to you. It's in your name we pray.